We are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Royal Grammar School on Guildford High Street, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Thank you very much. Um, While I'm sorting out my stuff, I suggest that you open the Bible to 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to read through the whole chapter. If you haven't got a Bible, then put your hands up and... Dee and Gavin have got loads of Bibles they'd love to give out to you. So put your hand up and we'll bring one to you. We're going to read through the whole chapter, um, which won't come up on the screen yet. So it's good to have it in front of you. Let's read 2 Corinthians 5. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we're clothed, we won't be found naked. For while we're in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body we're away from the Lord for we live by faith and not by sight we're confident I say and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord so we make it our goal to please him whether we're at home in the body or away from it For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we're out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we did once regard Christ in this way, we do, know, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled to us, us to, to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin 
to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So I'm Stuart, I'm one of the elders in the church, um, live in Guildford with my wife Jean and Reuben and Cameron as well, and my sons. We're looking at this chapter today about living by faith, and um, this is really following on from Chris's talk last week about do not lose heart, and it's really going to link in nicely from that. I've got four points, uh, hope will come up on the screen uh, about... Um, living by faith. So, you might have noticed a reference to a tent in the first, um, the first verse. What's the worst thing about camping in a tent? Is it getting cold, everything getting a little bit damp, or drenched? Or how about you've had a few, a few drinks the night before, and you now regret it at three in the morning when you've got to get up and find a portaloo with a torch uh, without waking anyone else up? Um, I remember camping once in the New Forest, a horse trying to get into our tent. That was interesting. Um, I used to help on a kids' camp in, on the Isle of Purbeck, and I remember one camper, I don't, I don't quite know what, what happened, but he ended up putting a knife through the roof of the bell tent. So I pitied the poor person who had to have all their stuff under that hole the rest of the camp. What's the best thing about camping? Coming home, isn't it? Nice warm bed, running water flushing toilets that's the best thing about camping um, but do come to commission festival next summer <laughs> it's going to be great we'll have fun together okay it's not that bad just for a few days um, but the picture in the in these verses is um, just move on to the next slide uh, is of our bodies being like an earthly tent that's the that's the metaphor that Paul uses. He, he knew what he was talking about. He was a tent maker by profession. And he says, um, he compares our earthly tent to the heavenly dwelling, the new resurrection bodies that he's got prepared for us. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, new bodies, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling because when we're clothed, will not be found naked. So unless Jesus returns before we die, then our bodies will perish, as Paul mentions. And our bodies are fragile, aren't they? Um, like in those final verses of chapter four last week, our outer self is wasting away. I pulled my back a few days ago, picking something up at sort of sideways. It's a bit sore. If you've got aches and pains this morning, um, maybe that resonates with you. But that's in contrast to our inner selves, which um, just at the end of chapter 4, verse 16, are being renewed day by day. So as our earthly bodies fade away, as Christians, our spirits are being renewed. Isn't that encouraging? So we have, as we get older, increasing uh, issues with these earthly bodies um, in terms of illness and, and health. But whatever age you are, you might... You might have issues with how you look or your mental health, the sinful nature within you, um, and ultimately, you know, our, our bodies will give up. Uh, they're not made, um, well, because of sin, they're not going to last forever. 
It's good, isn't it, to ask for healing for issues with our bodies and minds, but ultimately um, our bodies will give up. And when we struggle with these earthly tents, let that, as in verse 2, cause us to groan for our new bodies. If you've ever been to a, a secular funeral, they tend to celebrate the, the past, you know, the life of the person gone. Um, wasn't it encouraging, though, with the Queen to hear the great hope that Christians have for the life to come? So what, what do we know about um, these new bodies that, uh, that God has um, ready for those who put their faith in him? We have a building from God, verse 1. And um, we see it's an eternal house from heaven. It's eternal. So while these bodies may not last, our new bodies will are built to last forever. When you um, maybe look for somewhere new to live, an estate agent will sometimes say, oh, it's, you know, what's the key thing? It's location, location, location. What's the location of our new bodies? It's, they're built for the new heavens and the new earth, a wonderful place to live. And, you know, they're built for eternity? Well, yes, because they're built not by human hands. These bodies are built by the master builder. They're going to be perfect for life in heaven. And then in verse 3, the word naked could be translated inadequately dressed. So the metaphor shifts a little bit from the sort of tent versus the house to whether you're clothed or not properly clothed. Well, I can tell you from these verses, it's clear that in heaven, we will be given the perfect bodies for life in heaven with Jesus. There's a dress code in heaven and these bodies are it, okay? So I don't know, I don't know if you've ever received one of those invites to a party which says fancy dress. I don't know if that kind of fills you with excitement or dread. Um, but don't worry, for heaven, um, with our new bodies, we'll be clothed to perfection. Well, we can't promise the exact uh, details of these bodies. I think they'll be recognizably us. I don't, you know, I can't say, well, they'll have perfect skin or six pack or whatever you might dream of in your body. But um, we will be ourselves, but also this verse in 1 John, we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. So there's going to be something, we're going to be a bit more like him in, our, um, in who we are, in our character. We're going to be transformed to be like him as well as being ourselves. It's not active in Jesus. We're going to have more of that uh, in the life to come, uh, in the life to come. So let's move on to the next verses. Um, verse 5, we've been fashioned by God for our heavenly dwelling. So this is, this is kind of what God's preparing us for. We've been fashioned by God. He's getting us ready. And then he says in this verse, Paul writes, God has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So I wonder if you think about the future and you think, oh, yeah, that sounds great, but it sounds a bit fanciful. Well, God has given us a guarantee. When he fills us with the Holy Spirit, that's his 
promise. It's like a down payment. I don't know if you've ever kind of put your heart on a new home and uh, finally you've got somewhere like really great to live. Maybe it's your dream home. You've not yet moved in, but the sign outside the new place gets changed to sold or let. It's, it's, it's yours. You haven't yet moved in, but your heart's there, isn't it? You're getting ready to be, like, to be there and to go and live in this dream home. Well, let's be like that with these heavenly dwellings, these new bodies, these um, eternal dwellings that are perfect for the new heavens and the new earth. The Holy Spirit is our deposit. We can be confident that our new place is secure. Let's get ready for our new home. So practically, how, how can we long more for the, um, these new bodies? So there we go. We long for our resurrection bodies. Well, going back to the sort of camping analogy, has our life on earth become less like camping and more like glamping? Has it become too comfortable? We've made the mistake of forgetting about the much better life to come. Every time I feel that twinge in my back, every time we look in the mirror and we see imperfections, let us, like in verse 2, let us use that to groan and yearn for the future. Remember, these bodies, they might seem like it will, all there is, but they're just a tent. Um, you know, Paul, he knew what tents were. That was his job. He knew what the temple was like. Um, what a contrast, but... The life to come and our bodies will be greater. What amazing thoughts, aren't they? We have temporary accommodation in this world, in these bodies, but really they're just more like, like being in a refugee camp than a home. God is preparing something far better, a new heavens and a new earth with everlasting bodies to live there forever. Isn't that encouraging? As we look at the next verses, um, listen out for the repetition here. Therefore, we're always confident and know that as long as we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we live by faith and not by sight. We're confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So can you see verses six and eight uh, say roughly the same thing? They're reinforcing the point. Often in the Bible, when you have um, repetition it's to kind of really um, reinforce something and when they're around another verse it's kind of what's at the kind of core of what it's saying that's verse seven so verses six and eight say well we remain now in these mortal bodies we're not yet in heaven in our heavenly bodies but we would prefer to be away from the body as in these earthly bodies and then at the core of these verses we live by faith and not by sight. And that's kind of the, the kernel of what we're talking about today. Let's be people who are faith people. Now physically, my eyes are very short-sighted. Um, you probably can't see it, but it's quite a thick lens. Uh, minus 8.5 8 diopters on my left eye. I'm very short-sighted. I need quite strong glasses to correct my vision. But spiritually... Naturally speaking, I'm even more short-sighted. Before I became a Christian, I was blind. And now the Bible says we look through a, through a glass darkly. We, we, we get to start seeing as Christians. 
But if I look at this tent, you know, my body, and think, oh, this is, this is it sort of thing, um, I can be looking in the wrong place. Now, I dug out this old book at home. It's slightly ashamed to have it. 101 things to two before you die. Uh, get arrested. <laughs> Experience weightlessness. I'm not going to read that one. Um, invent a word that makes it into the dictionary. Okay, so all that kind of stuff. Fine. But, um, you know, we'll probably look back from heaven on these bucket lists that we have and roll our eyes at where we've got our priorities all over the place. We'll say to one another, look at where we are now. We have all of eternity in our new bodies to enjoy this new creation. Let's get ready. Let's get ready for the life to come. We don't have to, have, we don't have to cram it all into the here and now. Let's get on with what's important for this life now. Bucket lists, well, they can wait. The spiritual equivalent of glasses is God's word. So um, this book helps me to see clearly spiritually. It corrects my spiritual blindness. So while the, what these glasses do for my eyes, this book does for my spirit. What these glasses do for my eyes, this book does for my spirit. Okay, let's look at verses 9 and 10. We make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, context is important here. This letter is being written to believers in Corinth and the area around. So this isn't talking about salvation judgment this is talking about the judgment of believers, and it's, there's not much detail in the Bible about this, but there's a few passages that talk about heavenly rewards for people who particularly um, seek to please God in this life. For example, Jesus talks about storing up treasures for ourselves in heaven. So I think that's what these verses are about. So that's my second point. Let's live by sight, by faith rather than by sight. If we could go to the next um, sort of point two slide. So we remember, in terms of living by faith, remember those first um, verses one to five. We're thinking about the life to come, um, not just about our earthly bodies. We stop putting all our trust in what we see not by sight. Now, I, I went on a, a little workshop recently about um, learning a thing called Makaton, which is a form of sign language. And some of the, they've just been developing some Christian sign, language, uh, sign signs for Makaton, which has been absolutely brilliant. I love them. And I just want to teach you the one for faith. And what it does, it combines two Makaton symbols, one of which is, I know it. So it's kind of on your head like that, I know it. And the other one is, and it's true. It's true. I know it and it's true. So if you want to have a go at it, do it now. Um, and you say the word as you do it. So you say, faith. Great. I know it and it's true. So living by faith is not just about uh, growing our faith, but also I think 
the other part is rather than by sight. So it's, all, it's also about unplugging from all these distractions on earth, isn't it? Otherwise, it's hard to see those heavenly realities, all those worldly pressures that pull us down to earth. So let's just do a quick experiment. This was a little bit of a risk. I didn't know what the kids were going to be up to. So I just invite you to close your eyes for a sec and just listen to what you can hear. Okay, I wonder what you heard. Kids are very quiet, aren't they? Um, I didn't hear any traffic. I think I heard the projector. But we can, the point is, whatever we heard, we can, with our eyes shut, we can attend to our other senses more. And, and likewise, when we're not so absorbed in everything in the world, we can hear God more clearly. So what can we do to grow our faith and reduce our reliance on worldly seeing? Well, I think a regular devotional time is called a quiet time for good reason. Um, it's a good thing to do, but it's a quiet time. It's away from the distractions of phone and TV and chores around the housework. Personally, I find actually getting out of the house is important because otherwise there's too many other things to absorb my attention Take, yeah, get away from seeing the worldly things so that I can cultivate faith. And another thing is to cultivate faith is to, is to step out in faith and see how God responds. The charity that I work for, True Freedom Trust, we did our sort of national conference last weekend and I'd been sort of warned, oh, you know, don't, don't expect very much in terms of the offering, you know, the whole um, cost of living. And it is a serious thing, isn't it? But wonderfully, the gift was bigger than we've had for years. And it just reminded me, you know, um, these people are living by faith. Um, isn't that, that was encouraging. On the 6th of November here um, at Hope Church, we're going to be doing a gift Sunday. So that's another chance, that's a chance for us to, um, to live by faith, putting our treasures in heaven. And I'm sure there'll be other opportunities for each of us to live by faith over the coming week. We'll move on to verse 11 and look at that. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. When it says what we are is plain to God, that could also be translated our lives stand open to God. Paul's saying he's an open book. He's got nothing to hide. Paul's conduct, his character, his actions commend him to the Corinthians. He's the real deal. Now Paul applies this to his relationships to the Corinth, the Corinthians. I hope that it, what, we really, what I really am, is also plain to your consciences. So he recognises that his ministry to the Corinthians has been undermined, what some people have been saying about him. Oh, he's not very impressive when he speaks. This isn't an apostle, but how do we know he's really for God? What's he got to show for it? We've not seen him around here for a long time. And by the standards popular in Corinth, Paul doesn't really measure up. That culture of the day prized, impressive, 
presentations. You know, I, I thought about actually bringing like a tent along today and like collapsing it. But I thought, oh, that'd be a bit, that's kind of what we're not doing here. We're, we're, we're not doing sort of showy presentations. We're, we're, we're trying to explain God's word. That culture prized the latest ideas. They wanted to, they didn't want to hear things that were, the, that were kind of, that they'd already heard before. They wanted something fancy and new. They wanted to, they wanted to pay money to see people who had a strong brand for themselves. They might have been wowed by people like Jordan Peterson or Oprah Winfrey. You know, nothing against them, but um, you know, articulate people with a strong presence on social media. That would have been the Corinthian thing, but Paul wasn't impressive in that sort of way. What really matters is Paul's faithfulness to the gospel truth. He's a man of integrity. He says, look, this is who I am. I've got nothing to hide. This isn't show. This is who I really am. More, it's more important than the noisy, showy ministry of the false apostles in Corinth. They pushed a message that sounded great, but compromised the truth. So in verse 12, Paul writes, we're not trying to commend ourselves to you again. We're not trying to, you know, we're not one of these pushy people. We're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what's in the heart. So in verse 12, Paul doesn't want to have to enhance his own image for the sake of his own pride or popularity. He hopes that the Corinthians will be able to look at his ministry and take the right sort of pride in it. They'll be able to defend him against these attacks and criticisms from the false preachers who, are, who, who instead take pride in what's seen rather than what's in the heart. Remember verse 7, Paul lives by faith and not by sight. Whereas these false apostles were obsessed with worldly ways of judging people. Verse 13 if we're out of our mind, as some say, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. So in verse 13, Paul acknowledges that some might think he's a bit crazy, perhaps because of the countercultural way he sees things. He's living for the future, not the present. He's living by faith, not by sight. He's pleasing God rather than other people. He doesn't actually mind particularly what other people say about him. He just wants the church to know that what he does, he does it out of love for them. Verse 14, for Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. He's compelled in this by Christ's love. And here's a wonderful summary of Christ's ultimate act of love. One died for all. On the cross, the perfect man, the Lord Jesus, gave up his life that all who trust in him may live so we in verse 7 we who've accepted this gift of life should no longer live for ourselves but for him who died for us and was raised again just to be clear this life of love that we're called to live it's it's not about earning our place with God but it is a sign that we've understood how much we've received so how do we live as open books before God? Can we say like Paul, what I am is plain to God. I've nothing to hide. I'm the real deal too. 
If we're books, well, God already knows every page, doesn't he? Every thought we have, every jealousy we entertain, every good deed that we do or don't do. But having the posture before God of being an open book means confessing to him our sins, our hypocrisy, those times when we've hidden our faith from others to avoid criticism. When we're open before God and we know that we're right with him, we're more inclined to be open with one another. We know that we have the approval of the one whose opinion really matters. So I just invite each of us to pause for a moment now and open ourselves up to God in a prayer. I invite each of us to privately name something before God, perhaps from this last week when we've hidden from him or let him down. Let's pray. Father, we want to be people who are plain before you, who are open books, who are the real deal. We don't want you to see us as hiding our faith when we're ashamed or hiding from you when we sin. We confess to you now any way in which we've hidden ourselves from you or let you down this week. Forgive us, Father, for our sins and help us by your spirit to live more openly each day before you. Amen. Okay, so that's um, one more point to go from verse 16. We'll read, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Verse 17, it's a famous verse that reminds us that God's new creation has come in us when we believe. But let's keep going. Verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So a few points about reconciliation. Though through Christ, we can be reconciled to God. Naturally, we're enemies with God, but Jesus mercifully has brought peace with God at the cross. Secondly, God has given us the ministry of reconciliation and committed that ministry to us. We're to bring this good news of Jesus' reconciliation to non-Christians. We're to be his ambassadors. And we're to be agents of reconciliation in our relationships with others, particularly in the church. And although Paul has, is addressing the Christians in Corinth and the surrounding area, he clearly has concerns in verse 20 that not all his hearers are in a good place with regards to their relationship with God. He says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Some in the church have become disillusioned with Paul. They were more impressed with these showy speakers that seem so impressive those who take pride in what is, is seen back in verse 12. So it wasn't that Paul wanted to build a fan club for himself. He just needed to remind the Christians what it was to be authentic church. 
He wasn't trying to impress them with who he was. Rather, he was trying to impress, impress upon them the importance, the basics of following Jesus. He wasn't trying to impress them with who he was. He was trying to impress upon them the basics of following Jesus. So as we respond to this word, do we need to be reconciled to God today? Have you struggled with all the messiness here at Hope Church over the last year? We've all had to work at reconciliation with one another over difficult matters this year, and it's been hard. But thankfully, the gospel doesn't rely on any one of us. It still works despite my flaws. We're the jars of clay that Chris spoke about last week. But we have this treasure of the knowledge of the glory of God that within us, each of us who know Jesus, despite our weaknesses and flaws, God is utterly reliable. Have we let our relationships with God suffer as we've struggled with one another? That's what has been happening in the Corinthian church. They've kind of, people have had their issues with Paul and they've let their relationship with God drift. Have we allowed distance to grow between us and God? I think Paul's saying here, don't let whatever you think about me get in the way of your walk with God. Be reconciled to God. So getting really practical now, if there's anyone within this church with whom you need to be reconciled, who's distracting you or holding you back from your walk with God, the Bible's saying to you today, be reconciled. And reconciliation with others is all tied up in being reconciled to God. So if that rings true for you, can I invite you to speak to that person today, even now after the service? So I'm going to invite the band to come back up now. And um, just as I review the four points we've looked at from our passage today, we groan, we long for new resurrection bodies for that life to come that will be eternal and perfect for the new heavens and the new earth. We live by faith as Christians and not by sight. We look to what is unseen. We live as open books before God. We've got nothing to hide. We want to be the real deal before God and before our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're reconciled to God and to one another. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word, which encourages us, it challenges us, it speaks true to our souls. Help us to be people who live by faith and not by sight. Help us to hold lightly to the things of this world and to yearn to be with you, to be close to you. Fill us with your spirit. Help us to be reconciled wherever there's disruption in our relationships. We thank you that you have the power to help us with this in your Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. We meet on Sundays at 10am at the Royal Grammar School in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.